0: Hey, it's Martine. Before we get to today's show, a quick heads up. We are taking a production break next week. We're working on upcoming stories and some new ideas for the show. So you won't see a new episode for a few days, but we will be back after Labor Day on Tuesday, September 7th. Okay, here's the show.
1: Maybe the day I traveled, I still had some hopes. But right now. I don't see any hope. Nothing.
0: From the newsroom of the Washington Post, this is Post Reports. I'm Martine Powers. It's Friday, August 27th. We are still trying to get answers about what happened at Kabul airport on Thursday. The number of people killed there is staggering. 13 U.S. service members, dozens of Afghan civilians. Some reports estimate that 170 people are now dead. At least 150 more are injured. And a local ISIS affiliate has claimed responsibility for the attack.
2: The explosion was so close to the airport that many of the dead are out of reach of Kabul ambulances because they're on the other side of a checkpoint. And one of the reasons the death toll is so high from this attack is because it occurred on a narrow dirt road that was lined with these thick, high blast walls that was packed full of people.
0: Susanna George is the post-Afghanistan and Pakistan bureau chief. You might remember hearing her on our show last week when Kabul first fell to the Taliban. She escaped after that with two of the Post's Afghan colleagues, and then she returned to Kabul to report on the ongoing evacuation efforts there and the early days of life under Taliban rule. She's also been reporting on the attack at the airport.
2: There could have been more than a thousand people in that one entrance to Kabul airport that day. And it's actually how most of the entrances to the airport look every single day as people are desperate to get to the gates and get into the airport and get on these evacuation flights out of Afghanistan. So today, a day after such a deadly attack, I was actually shocked to see that the area around the airport was just as packed as before. I would say overall, Afghans, especially Afghans in Kabul and other urban areas across the country, are increasingly nervous. I mean, we only have a few days left until the U.S. evacuations and. And I spoke to a number of families of victims of the bombing, and they say that these attacks make them more determined to leave the country. One man told me the Taliban had promised that security would come when they took over Kabul. Security is something that has made the Taliban really popular in the districts, in the rural areas that the group has controlled for many years. But he said that Thursday's attack shows that they failed at that.
0: This was the deadliest day for U.S. service members in Afghanistan in a decade. And for Afghans, it was so much deadlier.
3: This sort of situation was always a nightmare scenario.
0: Dan LaMoth covers the U.S. military for The Post. He's been reporting on the evacuation efforts leading up to the deadline at the end of the month. And he says that this attack will make that mission even more complicated, especially as the U.S. awkwardly partners with the Taliban to secure the airport.
3: This flawed security arrangement finally reared its head and finally caused American loss of life, massive Afghan loss of life and on Afghans who were waiting to get out. These were people who had probably spent hours, if not days, you know, braving Taliban checkpoints, uh, many reports of people getting beaten by the Taliban, even at these checkpoints where they're supposed to be working with the United States. You know, many people have been turned away by the Taliban. So to get that close, to get all the way in line to the point where you're being searched, you're, you know, you're 96% of the way there at that point. And then to to have that explosion in close quarters with many, many people, crowded area, you know, tightly constrained, high walls around you, it's the absolute worst nightmare as far as what an explosion can look like uh, and, and what the military would call a soft target.
0: Do we know what motivated ISIS in this attack?
3: I mean, on its face, its extremism, it was a target of opportunity. The Taliban and this particular branch of ISIS uh, have often been at war themselves. So just having the Taliban protect the airport doesn't eliminate the ISIS threat. We're still sorting through whether or not there's any anything else there that, that allowed this to happen that close to the gate and to the Americans when the Taliban had the farther rings of the security outside the airport.
0: So... I think a lot of Americans right now are hearing the term ISIS-K for the first time. Frankly, I hadn't heard it until yesterday. What is ISIS-K? Is this different from the ISIS that many of us feel somewhat familiar with?
3: Uh, It's very much the same in terms of ideology, in terms of tactics. Uh, They have terrorized people in Afghanistan. The K stands for Khorasan, and it's sort of the regional branch of ISIS that is focused mostly in Afghanistan and Pakistan. They have done some horrific things. I mean, the images over the last handful of years, mostly in the eastern mountains of Afghanistan, not just using, you know, guns and and sort of typical things you might expect in in a war, but using boiling tar on people. I mean, just the sort of horrific images we we saw in Iraq and Syria a few years ago that mean very much the same kinds of things. The United States in, in the tailing years of this war uh, did spend quite a bit of time uh, pounding ISIS targets in those eastern mountains, Nangarhar, uh, Kunar, some of those provinces. Uh, that, and, and we were told that ISIS was still a threat, but, but it had really been minimized as a result of all of that attention in kind of the 2017, 2018, 2019 timeframe. Where it ended up going from there uh, one, I think you always had additional fighters who were out there. And then two, uh, a threat of this that I'm very much interested in is that you also had a, a big pr- prison break uh, from a the sort of notorious Parwan prison near Bagram Airfield uh, as the Kabul government fell. You had a lot of Taliban fighters freed in that as the Taliban took over. But you also had ISIS fighters that assumably got out as well.
0: So, Dan, you're saying that essentially the Taliban and ISIS-K are opponents or enemies or working at odds with each other. But I wonder if there are any questions here about this attack and considering that the Taliban was supposed to be in charge of security approaching the airport and that a suicide bomber was let through. I mean, does that complicate how we understand whether ISIS-K and the Taliban are really at
3: odds? I think it does, uh, less so on an organizational level and more so on the individual level. You know, this is not the U.S. military out there. These individuals are, in the president's own words, you know, acting on their self-interest to protect this airport. Well, self-interest can change in terms of scenarios that are possible. I, I myself wonder, You know, how did this individual get through the Taliban lines? On the street, they probably look like they fit right in, uh, in a a very desperate situation anyway. Could they be Afghan? Could they be someone from outside the country who, you know, went to Afghanistan specifically because they were looking to link up with a group like ISIS and, and, and kind of follow that ideology? You know, we had numerous Taliban checkpoints. Did those Taliban checkpoints work? Were those Taliban checkpoints bribed? Were those Taliban checkpoints just not really doing a full job where they're terrorizing some people, but also letting other folks pass? And that's all very hard to say right now.
0: Hmm. What should we make of ISIS-K's presence in Kabul right now? I mean, I think so many of us are worried about the Taliban and what the Taliban is going to do. And now there is this other entity that we have to understand what the threat is
3: that they pose. I think it makes it much more dynamic and even scarier for for anyone left. The Taliban—they have militant ideology. They—we've uh, we, seen images in recent days of of them not always adhering to the promises they've made to the United States in this weird month where you know things have kind of been turned on their head, and you know now now you're at least having to coordinate, if not outright, team up with ta- with the Taliban. ISIS isn't playing by any of those same rules and would gladly kill uh, both the United States forces they can get to and then also the Taliban forces they can get to. They see anyone that doesn't adhere to sort of their extreme brand of ideology, even beyond the Taliban's, uh, as fair game. President Biden gave a speech about this attack on Thursday
0: and faced some tough questions from reporters I'm wondering what you made of that speech and what are a few moments that stuck out to you that were particularly insightful.
3: President Biden's speech, um, you know, acknowledged uh, the, the, the severe loss uh, that, that went with what we've seen uh, over the last few days.
4: Jill and I, our hearts ache, like I'm sure all of you do as well. For all those Afghan families who lost loved ones, including small children, or been wounded in this vicious attack. And we're outraged as well as heartbroken.
3: He acknowledged how big of an undertaking this whole evacuation has been, that the threat was known, that people continue to do their jobs anyway. The president uh, has promised that they will go after this group.
4: For those who carried out this attack, as well as anyone who wishes America harm, know this. We will not forgive. We will not forget. We will hunt you down and make you pay. I will defend our interests and our people with every measure at my command.
3: The challenge will be what can they feasibly do without sort of the big footprint of of U.S. forces that we've had in Afghanistan over the years. I think the United States is... uh, going to be caught here in between what they might want to do and what they can feasibly do without throwing a lot of forces at the problem.
4: Mr. President, there had
0: not been a U.S. service member killed in combat in Afghanistan since February of 2020. You set a deadline, you pulled troops out, you sent troops back in, and now 12 Marines are dead. You said the buck stops with you. Do you bear any responsibility for the way that things have unfolded in the last two weeks?
4: I bear responsibility for fundamentally all that's happened of late. But here's the deal. You know, I wish you one day say these things, you know, as well as I do, that the former president made a deal with the Taliban, that he would get all American forces out of Afghanistan by May 1. In return, the commitment was made, and that was a year before, In return, he was given a commitment that the Taliban would continue to attack others, but would not attack any American forces. Remember that? I'm I'm being serious.
3: One thing that did strike me is there was this long pause where President Biden was asked a question and kind of brought his two hands up to his face and, and looked down and it, it almost seemed like the, the room around him faded for a second, uh, that he was sort of considering what to say and do, how to respond. Mr. President, respectfully, I don't think that
4: the issue that... Do you think that people have an issue with pulling out of Afghanistan or just a way of things that happen? I think they have an issue that people are likely to get hurt. Some, as we've seen, have gotten killed. And that it is messy,
3: I mean, I, I'm not in his head, but it, but it seemed to me that that was a, that was a moment where uh, the weight of the job becomes pretty clear. Uh, the, I'm sure the weight of the job was very clear throughout the day, but in that moment, especially it it seemed at least evident to the outsider hmm.
0: so then, what does this attack mean for the rest of the evacuations that need to happen before august thirty first?
3: I think the question for me there is how do you define who sort of made the cut there as of Thursday were apparently about 5,000 evacuees left in the airport. Those are people that have already been screened, already been cleared. And the expectation is the majority of those people flow out in the next day or two. Um, The second question though, is what do you do with some of those Afghans who have assisted us over the years, whose package of information was not yet completed, not yet fully approved, are, are they left on the outside looking in? And the expectation is, I think certainly that some of them will be. But in terms of the, the sort of the big evacuation effort, as it has looked over the last few weeks, that, that's basically all but all but over. And the next few days, uh, kind of moving into August 31st, are mostly going to be uh, starting to pack up, starting to Uh, shrink down that presence, uh, which takes a lot of time. Uh, And it's going to take several days for the U.S. military alone to move from more than 5,000 troops to down, you know, three to 1,000. And every time you do that, you increase the threat on those left because there's just not as many people left to kind of hold the line, hold the perimeter, make sure everybody's safe.
0: I think the irony here that is apparent to many Americans and certainly pointed out to Biden on Thursday is that he has said over and over again, one of the primary goals of leaving Afghanistan and leaving Afghanistan now is to preserve the lives of members of the military and to stop having Americans dying in a war that we maybe don't have a stake in anymore. And it does seem like if that was the goal, then this attack has made that goal a failure.
3: I think by that metric, uh, yeah, I think this is something he's going to have to wrestle with for a while. I would say that as far as strictly through the lens of what we're doing here, um, we, we don't necessarily have big interests in the country writ large anymore. It seems like there's pretty broad bipartisan agreement on that. But we do have a massive stake in this evacuation and getting out as many people as we can. And that's why we were willing to send as a nation 6,000 people back in, uh, in uniform. And that's why those Marines and soldiers were willing to hold that line and and willing to, despite knowing that the threat was very real, continue to search people. Uh, I mean, for me, there's nuance here where you can look at it and say, Man, this is awful. And at the same time, look at it and say, man, these people continue to do this kind of work, knowing how ugly and messy it can get.
0: Dan Lamoth covers the US military. Lena Mohammed produced this story. After the break, we'll hear from an Afghan journalist who left Afghanistan right before the Taliban took over. We'll be right back.
1: The day I left, there was no chaos, but there was fear and uncertainty to the utmost level you can imagine.
0: That is Afghan journalist Nasreen Nawa. She escaped Kabul two weeks ago, right before the city fell to the Taliban.
1: When I left, we were talking about some plans. We were scared, but uh, when it happened... It was something so unbelievable. Even right now, we still couldn't believe it. We couldn't take it in. We were thinking, "Yeah, we will have the bar, We will have casualties. We will have some so many other challenges, a corrupted government. But at least we will not live under the Taliban regime again."
0: Nasreen is 27. Two weeks ago, she had just left Kabul for a Fulbright Fellowship at the University of Nebraska. Mm -hmm. Then the city fell to the Taliban, and her family was stuck. Her sister is also a journalist, and she tried to leave Afghanistan just two days after Nasreen. But by that point, it was too late. She went to the bank to withdraw cash, and when she got there, they had run out of money. The flight that she was supposed to be on never even took off.
1: They're trying to not make me worry, but I'm so worried about them. They say that normal life is resuming and Taliban are trying to control everything peacefully, but it's not happening completely. My sister is so disappointed because she is stuck in there with so many fears because she was so active and well-known there, and Taliban are not okay with girls like my sister or me that we believe in democracy, in human rights, in women rights. And still, I feel so scared for everyone who is losing all the thing that they built in two last decades. I cried this morning as well. It's difficult to see my people in Afghanistan, All my friends are terrified, they deleted their social media accounts, they are hiding in houses, they don't go outside of their house, and they have no plan, no hope, nothing for their future, especially women.
0: That was Nasreen Nawa. She wrote an op-ed for The Post last week about the experiences of her family and friends. She also spoke with opinion columnist James Homan for his podcast, Please Go On. You can hear their full interview in that feed. We'll put a link to it on our show notes and at postreports.com. That's it for Post Reports. Thanks for listening. Today's show was mixed by Ted Muldoon. A reminder that we will be off next week, so you will not see any new Post Reports episodes in your feed. If you're looking for more great podcasts from The Washington Post, I highly recommend Canary, an investigative series that just won a Murrow Award. It's a powerful seven-part series about accountability and two women looking for justice. If you're on Twitter, I'm going to share the first episode of Canary in my feed, as well as some of my other favorite episodes of Post Reports that are really worth listening to during this week that we're off. And if you want to stay up to speed on breaking news, make sure that you're checking out all the amazing reporting from our colleagues at WashingtonPost.com. Our executive producer is Maggie Penman. Our senior producer is Rena Flores. Our editors are Alexis Diao and Ted Muldoon, who also composed our theme music. Our producers are Lena Mohammed and Jordan Murray-Smith. Ariel Plotnick and Renny Svarnovsky are associate producers. Sabi Robinson and Emma Talkoff are assistant producers. The Post Director of Audio is Renita Jablonski. I'm Martine Powers. We will be back on September 7th with more stories from The Washington Post.